an old soul, Speedy. The old phrase of the day is "ah sookie sookie." Now, I have no idea what you just said. I heard like a "ah sookie sookie." Now, that's what I heard. Yeah, and that's what I said. <laughs> and I don't, I don't see what was unorthodox about all those. I guess I don't know if they're words, um, formulations <laughs> of letters. There's some syllables in there. Are they words? It does sound made up to me. It sounds like a made-up dance move that you would hear yelled out during like a, a cha-cha slide or something. Hey, suki now. Suki suki now. And it kind of is that. To be honest with you, I've done research and I'm, I have found conflicting um, origins for the famed phrase, ah, oh, suki suki now. Uh, because most people say it's from this King Floyd song called Groove Me, where he kind of improvises off the top and he goes like, ah, sookie sookie now. <laughs> but then there's a Steppenwolf song from 1968 that's called Sookie Sookie. So, you know, oh. it's the Lord of the Rings situation. Game of Thrones, everybody's after the original Sookie Sookie um, <laughs> throne. But... <laughs> um, According to Urban Dictionary, it means an expression of admiration or satisfaction, especially in regards to the shape and beauty of a female. A beautiful girl with a tight body walks by, and you look at her and say, ah, sookie sookie now. Um, that's what Urban Dictionary says. Everybody, if you're an old soul at gmail.com, if you have a definition of ah, sookie sookie now, or an etymology or an origin story of where it actually came from, but that's what the internet told me. <laughs> I'd also be curious if anyone has ever been the, on the receiving end of an ah, sookie sookie now. Have you ever been walking by and someone said, oh, sookie sookie now? Were you confused? Did you know yes. what was going on? Can it be used unironically? Yes. Did somebody whistle at you from a car and say that? <laughs> and can you sue and put them in jail just for saying those words? Because I think you should be able to. <laughs> ah, sookie sookie now. Ah, sookie sookie now. Um, okay, before we get to our previously on this week, Speedy, as I've told you, every week now I want to read a misheard lyric as people continue to send oh, them yes, to us. please. Okay, this one is from a viewer. They thought the words to uh, the TLC song that goes, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Yes. They apparently thought the words were, don't go Jason Waterfalls. Jason? <laughs> yes, they thought that there was a man named Jason and TLC really didn't want him to go. And his name was Jason Waterfalls. Wow. You know, I think I would fall in love with Jason Waterfalls based on name alone. It's a great name. It's a great name. Magical Yeah, man. he would definitely be in Gossip Girl. <laughs> Jason Waterfalls. Jason Waterfalls. It, it will makes me think of the Disney Channel original movie, Johnny Tsunami, about a Hawaiian <laughs> kid that starts skiing in New England because he misses surfing, which is, uh, we can get into that one day, how I feel about that movie. Wow, but I've um, never heard of that movie. Jason Waterfall would definitely be friends with Johnny Tsunami. <laughs> and Johnny Tsunami would be friends with Johnny Mnemonic, if you're familiar with that one. Ooh, who's Johnny Mnemonic? Ooh, that is a Keanu Reeves movie. Um, that is rather than famous i guess i could call it infamous <laughs> and and then there's the singer johnny rivers so we could make an avengers of johnny Whoa. mnemonic johnny <laughs> johnny tsunami jason waterfalls <laughs> and then the singer who sings secret agent man rivers. johnny rivers wow wow 
It's a big team. It's a big team. I'm not sure what they would accomplish together. I mean, Johnny Mnemonic isn't. Yeah, what would they fight? <laughs> yes, what would they fight? Johnny Mnemonic is an action hero. He he's a real one, but um, I don't know. I think Jason Waterfalls would be more of a um. Uh, Oh gosh, I'm I'm losing the word. What's what's the word? Siren. He would be like a male siren. Um, a siren, like he's gonna lure you in and kill you, like in Greek mythology. I think so. Jason, it's Jason oh, Waterfalls. Okay. Oh yeah, Jason. I mean, they're well, they're telling him not to go. So it seems like he has accomplished being a siren for TLC. He has lured them with his musical talent. Oh, yes. But they should want him to go because he's a siren. He might kill them. Um, okay. Speedy, take it away. What's happened previously on this week? Oh, yes. Previously, this week in history, in 1960, uh, the Federal Communications Act was passed, which stopped people from uh, giving gifts and money in exchange for playing certain records uh, over the airwaves. Because um, apparently, I guess there was a very big problem with DJs receiving bribes to play certain things. So they passed this act in 1960. And apparently it did not do very much, and people are still giving bribes to this day. <laughs> um, I was about to say, did, <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that rule? <laughs> and have it, has it been applied to TikTok yet? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. I mean, fun. I thought this was fun. It's probably not that fun. But the term for giving money or gifts in exchange for, for playing records is called payola payola that's right yeah. oh were you aware of this uh, it, well yeah I, I, you work in broadcasting i work in yeah. broadcasting so it's a big rule that you also learned about in school but i guess maybe you were like oh granola yeah I don't care. <laughs> yeah what's illegal about some protein <laughs> well next on our list of this week in history in 1969 um this is when stories about paul being dead started to come out, um, both here in America and over in England and elsewhere. They were saying that a couple years prior in uh, 1966 that he was killed in a... Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Oh, I should have said his full name. Everyone knows Paul is dead. And he supposedly died uh, in a car crash <laughs> Don't in Scotland. Don't alien the audience. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so 1969 okay, is when so, the news came so out. Okay, so the first instance of people saying he was dead was 1969 and say he died in a car crash in Scotland? Yes. I mean, I'm sure people were saying this, but this is when actual news stories were being run. 1969. Wait, people actually ran with it? Yes. This is being reported on. They were... People, I thought it was just like they kept saying it and everyone was like, ah, it's funny. Good one. <laughs> right, I'm sure the rumor mill was active enough that they're like, "This counts as a story. We gotta, we gotta report on this." I'm sure none of the newspapers were saying he is dead, but they were saying he was supposedly killed in a car crash and was replaced with a double for public appearances. So, I knew that one. People think that. <laughs> I remember like one time, someone came up to me at work and was like, "Danny, did you know that?" It's been a fake Paul McCartney doing all the recordings <laughs> since 1969. <laughs> I was like, well, I saw him at concert two years ago, and it looked like Paul, and it sounded like Paul. Um, that is interesting. If you're an old soul at gmail.com, if you experienced thinking Paul was dead, if you at any point in your life thought Paul McCartney was dead, specifically in the late 60s, I would love to know. 
about what you read and what you saw. And, um, or if there's a ridiculous theory you've heard about it, I want you to send us that theory because I like hearing about all the Paul McCartney stuff. I mean, it, it goes crazy. Like on the cover of Abbey Road, he's not wearing shoes. He's supposed to be have, have just being uh, exhumed, I guess. <laughs> he just like left the grave and came to the album cover. Abbey Road was their last recorded album, not their last release, but their last recorded album. So they were doing it all the way till the end that he was dead. Wow. I love that, that there was no scenario where the Beatles could have gotten access to an extra pair of shoes. He was just... <laughs> right, right. I mean, even if Paul was dead, he would be buried in amazing gold shoes, right? <laughs> he would have been able to afford shoes for his death. Who's buried without shoes on? Yeah, I would also be curious um, what the theories are on how these Paul doubles are so convincing do people believe in doppelgangers and they happen to find Paul's true doppelganger? Did someone undergo uh, cosmetic surgery to really resemble Paul? I really would be curious uh, what the popular theory is. And then are. how does he sound just like Paul when he sings? Yes. <laughs> does Paul... He's not lip sync. I've seen Paul McCartney in concert. It's very different. He sounds different. Yes, I have seen him in concert as well. He's definitely... There's no pre-recorded singing happening there was interaction with the audience so it is his vocal cords i don't know you know what it took 50 years we can finally say paul was not dead that's definitive whoa we're gonna alienate half the crowd here if you're not sold gmail.com if you disagree and find that sir paul mccartney has died even though he was on a Kanye West song like four years ago <laughs> and has a new album that came out this year called Paul McCartney 3 that our most recent guest gave a 6.6 <laughs> <laughs> or the pitchfork uh, two two episodes ago now by the time this airs uh, all right everybody our guest today <laughs> is a very famous host of American Ninja Warrior which happens to be Speedy's mom's favorite show that's right Eileen this one's for you Come on, Eileen. Yeah, come on, Eileen. Listen to this interview, even though Speedy <laughs> wasn't there for it. It'll be just be me and Matt. Uh, I've interviewed him many times over the years, but this is the first time for more than four minutes, so it was an absolute thrill. Uh, he's a headlining comedian, host American Ninja Warrior. And before we bring him in, I just wanted to acknowledge, because I did look it up afterwards, I got a lyric wrong during the interview. I quoted the Avid Brothers and said, uh, if I live the life I'm living, I won't be scared to die. But it's actually, if I live the life I'm given, I won't be scared to die. How the Avid Brothers connected to Matt Eisman, we'll just have to listen and find <laughs> out. But we talk about everything, Speedy. We talk about American Ninja Warrior, him being at the Olympics. We sing 70s one-hit wonders that he loves. We talk stand-up comedy, Brian Regan, Eddie Murphy. It's a really fun time, and I'm glad that you're here to listen to it. I was going to say, that all sounds very exciting, and I can't wait to listen to it like whoever's listening to me speak these words right now. And we now give you Matt Eisman. And we now welcome beloved, world-famous TV host, comedian, and personality, Matt Eisman. Matt, is there a phrase you hate more than TV personality? No, I was just saying, I, I, I haven't been called a personality before because I don't know that my charisma has ever merited that. But now I feel like I've graduated, Danny. You have bestowed upon me the title <laughs> of personality, which 
I feel like qualifies me not to be the center square on Hollywood Squares, but maybe someone in the periphery now as a personality. You know, if they bring that back, we need you in that square because you you'd be the yes man who made everyone else feel better when they got something wrong. Like you'd be the nice I, guy. I just remember growing up old old days when um Paul Lynn, Paul Lynn would be in the Paul square. Lynn. <laughs> how entertaining, how entertaining he was and I remember, God, what was I think the Gong Show with, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember when Jamie Farr would be on, and you know, that's what's so different was now with social media where you can access stars, you can see them, other than on the TV shows and movies, there's no mystery. But back then, I remember, you know, I'd watch Mash, and then you see Corporal Klinger now as Jamie Farr, and it was it was such a such an, a fun insight to see these celebs on those shows, especially because. They were usually schnockered, just seven sheets to the wind. They were hammered. <laughs> you know, Matt, you're such a kindred spirit because this podcast is called If You're an Old Soul for people who uh, appreciate the eras before us. And here you go, going gong show and Paul Lynn as center square. I, do, I wasn't going to say Paul Lynn because I didn't want to nerd out too hard, but we did it. We're here already. <laughs> but I also, I think it was, uh, God, I think it was Jack, I, I might be getting the name wrong. Jack Marshall, I think was the, host of Hollywood Squares when I was growing up. And his real name was Jack LeCock. And his son, Pete LeCock, I believe was a major league pitcher for the Royals. And the irony was back when I was watching, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I was a pitcher. Instead, I end up a TV host just like that. <laughs> You've hosted a couple game shows for both uh, E! and Game Show Network. And you know, for like, yes. most people like myself who were in TV, were always like, oh man, I would love to host a game show. Is it as fun as we think it is? So um, the first show I did was called Screenplay, and I think I think you can see there it is. Oh, you got There's your poster. poster right it exists, there, everybody. Of. He still appreciates um, it. Yeah, it was one season on on uh, on E, and it was really it was a knockoff slash ripoff of Fear Factor with with the hook that I thought was genius was rather than just making people do these incredible stunts or eat gross things, they were all tied into a movie. So the premise was, hey, you're jumping off a building on a rope, and it's going to be like Die Hard. Now, the problem was we were on E. This was when E was kind of tabloidy. And not only did you have to get clearance from the studios to use a movie, you had to get clearance from the actors. At this point, E had been so tabloidy, we couldn't get clearance from any of the actors. <laughs> we didn't have the budget to, to jump off of Nakatomi Plaza, the Fox building in, uh, in Century City. So we ended up having things like, um, we, we did the Omen 3, I remember, like trapped under the ice. It was it, it it was it was so much fun, but it was kind of handicapped from the beginning. For cause for a game show night, I did a show Casino Night, where we were in Vegas, just pulling people off the strip, playing games with them, and it was a blast in the middle of the night. Um, I absolutely adored that. the The closest I've come since then, I I did a podcast called Factorious, a podcast game show, and it, it it was a it is a traditional game show, but it was just audio only. And we shot that at a sound studio or a, a voiceover recording studio in New York, where it was just a, a small booth. We'd have the three contestants and me inside. On the outside of the booth, we had the contestants who were going to be playing the games before or after as an audience. And I, I realized how much I loved game, hosting games, playing games. I'm a regular contestant on 25 Words or Less, which is, for those who haven't seen it, Meredith Vieira hosted. It's kind of like taboo, but 
with the limited number of words you can use to get people to guess. I love games. I did Hollywood Game Night with Jane Lynch. I'm so competitive. I love it. So Factorious, we, we, we turned it into a TV show, and there is a chance it could be coming to TVs near you in fall of 2022. Fingers crossed. Uh, Matt, I'm a bit of a know-it-all. Do you remember any trivia questions from it that you can throw at me that I could try to prove myself to you? From, so here was – I've actually – funny you asked because oh, he's reaching what over. do I do? I always have uh, my, oh, my, my clues here. So, Danny, here's how the game works. Factorious, okay. we, give you, we give you a clue. That is the initial or initials of the answer. Then I start reading you facts about it that go from obscure to more obvious. When you think you know the answer, you buzz in. Now, it's just you, but imagine if there were three people. The strategy comes in, you only get one guess. So you think you know it early. But you're like, do I get another fact to confirm it? Uh, allowing someone else to steal. So with that, are you ready to play a question on Factorious? Yes, and I will get it right because I'm a know-it-all. And I refuse okay. to think well, this one. This one I think will be pretty easy. So the clue is MF. That means the initials of this answer will start with the letters MF. And you can guess it's a two-word answer. So here we go. When MF was a junior in high school, he pulled a chair from underneath a girl he had a crush on. As a punishment... He was ordered to take part in his school's drama competition. MF is a beekeeper with more than two dozen hives. After hearing about the decline of honeybees, MF turned his 124-acre ranch into a beekeeping sanctuary. MF began his TV and film career as a regular on the children's series, The Electric Company. Morgan Freeman. Which is, oh, there it is, buddy. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Were the first two also Morgan Freeman things? Is he an, they were all Morgan Freeman facts. So, right. So, that's how the, the game works is we give you these really obscure facts. Now, if you happen to be a Morgan Freeman total stan, maybe you know he's a beekeeper. But otherwise, as soon as you hear the electric company, anybody of a certain age or somebody who's a know-it-all might know Morgan <laughs> Freeman was on there. Are, are, are you impressed? Are you like... Oh, he bragged a lot and took him to the third clue, so we're not... No, 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 because those first two clues were absolutely obscure. The Electric <laughs> Company was a pretty obscure one. I'm impressed. Thank you. I watched his Kennedy Center honor when he got inducted. That's where I learned that from. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, see, I remember watching him. And oh, and you remember watching it. I'm he sorry. He back together when he was, he was the coolest guy <laughs> in the Electric Company. Well, I'm glad that gets us to your childhood a little bit, because uh, you and I are, if Wikipedia serves me correctly, both Jewish. So I wanted to ask a quarter Jew. I'm a quarter Jew, okay. but it didn't, it was my dad's dad. So unfortunately I'm not a full member of the tribe. I only Jew -ish. have it uh, in my DNA. You're I'm Jewish. You're yes. very ish, but uh, all capital ish. I wanted to know what comedians you grew up on. Like I grew up loving the Marx brothers, watched them a lot and Mel Brooks. Who did you grow up yeah. loving? So I remember the, the first time I really remember comedy was my dad had comedy albums. Because mm. um, I mean, this was the mid '70s, late '70s, and the two I remember uh, were Bob Newhart and Steve Martin. Let's get small. I mean, there's no one bigger and, in the '70s than Steve Martin. Oh, I mean, when you know, subsequently looking back, you know, I think one of the things he said was, "It just got I stopped doing stand up because everything I said was funny, where the crowd just loved him so much that they weren't discerning." And he's like, "It lost the challenge," but he did. A, it was called "Let's Get Small." And, you know, it was like a, a drug commentary thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand any of it, but his voices were so funny. The cadence was so funny. And Bob Newhart, who did a lot of those classic phone calls where he's one person and you're imagining the other side of the conversation. And with both of them, what I loved was kind of the, 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 
the imagination, the 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 creativity that went into them taking you on this journey. And then as I got, I I, I, as I got a little older, um, I remember Eddie Murphy, um, Delirious. Oh my God, was that 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 was just transformative when you saw that. And when you watch it today, you realize I don't think that's getting made today. (laughs) I know. Even watching it today could get you in trouble. But I just remember Eddie Murphy in the 80s because, you know, he was doing Delirious. He was doing Raw. He was on Saturday Night Live. He was doing 48 Hours in Trading Places. This is like the early, mid-80s. I think it was, you know, 21 to 24 when this was going on. And the confidence this guy had going out there, it is still astounding. When you watch him in Delirious going out there, I think he was 21 in Delirious. And, you know, I, I am considerably older than 21 now. And I still have nowhere near the amount of just swagger that he had when he went out there. But again, what I love about Eddie was, you know, he used to do the book, Mr. T, come over here. <laughs> Excuse my butt cheeks. Yeah, where he, I, I, I loved, for, for me, the, the, the comedians who I really love are the ones who kind of have a wink in their eyes. And right now, my favorite comedian, who's been my favorite comedian for, my God, over two decades, Brian Regan, who yep. I just, I think is one of the funniest. Now, I remember I was watching him and this was, this was, I was in uh, Colorado. This was when I was still a doctor. I went to, my buddy took me to comedy works. He's like, you got to see this guy. And 35 minutes in, I've been laughing harder than I've ever laughed in my entire life. And it dawned on me, he hasn't cursed once. There's been nothing, you know, graphic, nothing that you, a nine-year-old, my nine-year-old niece couldn't hear. And I remember going, this guy is that funny and doing it without resorting to any kind of the cheap tricks. And when I decided to become a comedian and move out to LA, it was his CD um, that I had just on endless loop as I was driving, making the drive from Colorado. And it's cool. I've, I've actually had a chance to meet Brian a couple of times and turns out his son's a fan of American Ninja Warriors. So oh, perfect. I, I, I got to tell him, man, I just, what a big fan. I am, and and how much I think his approach influenced me uh, in comedy. Was that the CD referring to with Brian Reagan live? Yeah, I I so I've seen him four times. I'm a huge fan, and one time that I got to meet him, he's from the Florida area, I think, or he went to because I remember like he, I think he went to U, uh, University of Florida. One of oh, his big he? things was like Gator Growl. <laughs> I don't remember Gator he's Growl. My my favorite bit of his from Brian Reagan live is when he does. The guy who uh, interprets whales. You know yeah, oh, I mean? my yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god! Oh my god! He's coming yes. back to you. And he's like, ooh, and then yeah. the guy's like typing. He's lonely. He's lonely. And the craziest thing is, anytime you hear Brian Regan speak, it is impossible not to begin speaking like him. And he's one of the people who. One of the things I noticed about stand-up comedy early on, we always talk about finding your voice, but I think it's quite literally, when you think of the biggest comedians over the past 40 years, you can do an impression of them. Like, Jerry Seinfeld, what are we talking about? Uh, Bill Burr right now, Jesus Christ, what are we doing? Or, you know, Brian Riggins out there like this, yeah. even Chris Rock. It's all literally the way they speak is so unique and so stylized um, and so authentic to them. Because I, I think what happens is when you start out in comedy, I, I'm sure initially I had a lot of Brian Regan in me because I aspired to be him. 
and you see how people start out emulating them and then have to find their own voices. But when you see these comics are, uh, where I, I, I challenge people to find a monster comic, you know, even, you know, Larry the Cable Guy, get her done, where all of these comics have such a unique voice that the second you hear them, you know who it is. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I'm, I do stand up and I always sound like John Mulaney and I try really hard not to. Um, but what made, right. what made you, what makes you authentic in your standup is that you came well, from. Well, I don't have a, I, I think I'm loud. No, I, I, I think for my standup, you know, the, it, it is an ongoing quest, I think, to, to find your voice. I think, I think for me, one of the things that I, I struggled with that, you know, Brian Regan kind of held the light up for, particularly in LA where, you know, New York and LA have phenomenal comedy scenes, but a lot of times they can be dark, they can be edgy and I'm not. And I, I think for me, it was trying to find my way, being a generally positive guy, not trying to slag on anybody. Doing that in, in an area where, you know, most everyone else was going out there, um, you know, uh, being a little more graphic. No, I, told, so I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. They, yeah, they come and, out and, so, and try to curse and be racist. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I always feel like I don't know that I have the most distinctive voice in comedy. I, you know, it's hard to judge it yourself. But I think my my approach is always anytime I'm on stage, I want it to feel like a party and I want to make sure everybody's having the best time. And so that's kind of always been my approach on stage. But uh, I will tell you, it's been tough during the pandemic. I've only done stand up uh, really twice uh, in the past, you know, since March 11th, because I, I had a show on March 8th. It was my it was a corporate gig in front of like 1500 people. And that was my last Hurrah. It was, it was a great show, but <laughs> since then it's been, it's been brutal. I, I, and I've definitely missed it. I just, uh, I just hosted a strongman competition in Colorado and there was an audience there and I was just, I was just reminded of how much I miss the interaction with a live audience, mm -hmm. how much that give and take and how much the energy of a crowd elevates you as a performer and, and, and makes you sharper. And it was, it's something I think that, you know, as we've seen comedians turn to podcasting or turn to trying to figure out how to be entertaining on memes or TikTok or whatever, to say there's no substitute for being in the same room as your audience and feeling that energy and having that relationship, that that give and take. And as a comedian, you know, the, the audience's laughs are oxygen. It's absolutely what we need. Yeah, I have done a couple shows and it's a paradox because it's like, the better I do, the more likely it is that you will spit on me with your laugh. Yeah. Right. It's projectile. Yeah. So this is right. an inverse relationship with my success of my standup. I want to bomb to live. It's really it's really tough, right? It's tough to be out there now and and obviously in the midst of this pandemic. And uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, at some point, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a long road back for traditional uh nightclub stand up comedy, but you know, I, I think it's one of those things that people are <laughs> absolutely craving. I think audiences crave it, too, because there is, you know, we you've done it. You've watched a special on TV. It's great. But when you see someone live, yep. it is electrifying. It is just such a different experience. Well, at least you have American Ninja Warrior back yes. the last couple of years. I, I assume there's no audience, but you've had family members. So much count for something. 
so yeah, we did. We've done two seasons in the pandemic. The first one was in St. Louis. It was all in a bubble. We shot in a dome, eighty thousand seat dome, where the Rams used to play. Not a not a seat, not a person in the stands, not one person. Um, and we could only have three ninjas on the course at once. So what we did was we put jumbotrons up every other obstacle, and we'd have their family and friends uh, FaceTime in, and th- they could speak to the runner on the course, and the runner could speak back. So that was someone. And we were piping crowd noise in, and that was, that was interesting because I was just at the Olympics uh, covering it for Peacock. There was no crowd noise. And when you went, we went to the stadium, Akbar and I went out, you know, a 75,000-seat stadium um, with about 500 people in it. No one allowed to cheer. And you're watching people win a gold medal. And you're st- <laughs> Golf claps at the and Olympics. It was, it was just – it was heartbreaking to realize these people have worked so hard for this moment, and they weren't able to have that energy. So, Ninja, we didn't have a crowd last season. This season, um, in Vegas, we finally were able to get people who'd been tested and vaccinated into the stands. Um, but it was still in much smaller numbers than we'd had in the past. So it was it was good. But but again, this weekend, there were probably 2,500 people there at the Strongman. Um, and the energy, it, 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 the hairs were standing up at the back of my neck. And I rem- I just thought, I miss, I miss crowds. I really miss having that energy. We just had one of the contestants. We're recording this on September 1st. So I'm not going to make Matt spoil anything. But we just had Enzo DeFerrari Wilson. Who's electric Enzo. Electric Enzo. Yeah, he, his family is amazing. They came and they brought like 10 hats with his logo, Electric Enzo. On. He, those oh, you, my God. He's the youngest person to get past the first buzzer. He's now 15. He was 14. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you are more impressive than me. And I'm not even sure if you have acne yet or gotten braces. And, and he has a charity to keep oceans clean. Yes, at the yes same he time. does. I have five hats like, for that one. It, it, it is amazing. His, his organization is called One. I think Oceans Need Everyone. And it's really cool seeing the future, uh, not just of Ninja, but the future of, of our country in such good hands with these kids who are so aspirational, who work hard in so many different areas and who are all about spreading the love. And it's uh, it's impressive. But all of them, Danny, make me feel lazy and out of shape. It's really it's kind of rude of them to do it to the host. <laughs> Not only that, though, like Enzo is 15. And he we know at least as of now that he's gotten to Las Vegas in the finals. And I remember watching the video the one time that you tried the course. You broke your foot immediately. Yes. What? Yeah. Thank what you, you for bringing it up. Well, yeah. I'm that was, sorry. I'm trying so to make myself it's actually, better. There's, I've done it twice. I have a broken foot and a broken ankle. So and now an ankle. I've been banned from the course. <laughs> and they said, if I, I told them, if I even look at an obstacle, you have permission to tackle me because my, my athletic days are uh, in the rear view mirror for sure. Um, it, it's, it's been amazing to be a part of Ninja. We actually, during the summer, we also filmed uh, Ninja Junior with the kids. And that was cool because we were able to have the families and some friends in the stands. Um, but that's ages nine to 14. And uh, Enzo, as did so many of our competitors this season, competed on Ninja Junior. And, and they were the reason that when we saw how good they were, because when we started with you know nine-year-olds, even up to 14-year-olds, we thought they might be okay at obstacles, but how are they going to be with the crowd? How are they going to be with cameras there? How are they going to be with prize money, with, with real stakes? And as you've seen watching the big show, they have handled it so impressively. And we, we knew they'd be athletic. They're 15, right? Yeah. 16. They, 
they they they've gone through puberty. They have the strength. They don't have the fat that, that a lot of us have put on. They train so much, but I've been so impressed with their mental composure, with their poise, with their ability to just handle the spotlight. And especially now, they're competing for a million dollars, and they just seem unfazed by it. And you know, they're competing alongside. For a lot of them, they've grown up watching Ninja Warrior, and they're going out there against Najee Richardson or Flex LeBrecht. These people they've watched, and you know, Akbar made the point where he, you know, he grew up wanting to play with the Lakers in high school. And he was thinking, man, that would be like if somebody all of a sudden said, hey, you know, come on, come out to the forum. You're, you're going to be on the court with Magic tonight and you're going to be playing. And, and it's, it's hard to fathom. But again, it's been, it's, it, to me, one of the things that, that really gets, uh, we appreciate the physical so much, but I think the mental element of Ninja Warrior, the pressure, being able to handle it is so key to success. And for these younger kids to be doing it is, is mind blowing. And then you, like you mentioned, we're at the Olympics as you're hosting Tokyo Live with Akbar, your partner in crime, American Warrior. We're seeing people who were also like 15 and 16 taking yeah. on the entire world. How different was the Olympics that you experienced from what we saw at home on our TVs? Well, I think. Um, so we we were quarantined, right? We we got there for the first two weeks. We could only go from our hotel, literally. We couldn't leave our hotel. We, we could go out to a convenience store to get water or a Red Bull, but you had to be back in 15 minutes. We couldn't work out in the gym. We were going right to the International Broadcast Center where we were working. And Akbar and I only got to the venues a couple of times. And the venues were gorgeous. They were spectacular. They were all done on time. Um, but when you watched, it, it was interesting because we ended up, we were, for the majority of the events, we were in the Tokyo Live Studio at the IBC. We weren't there. so. The experience was probably similar for you. What was different was, for instance, during gymnastics, we had Lori Hernandez right there with us breaking it down. But then we had the athletes coming in. And I think I, I think it was tough because I know at home a lot of people said the energy felt off, right? It felt it didn't feel the same as Rio, which was a carnival in London, which was off the charts. It was a party. Um and, and for us, I think we felt the excitement of the athletes because when these athletes are coming in, they were usually coming in the day after or very often the day they won a medal, the day their life's work came true, their fruition, you know, came to fruition and they lived out their dreams. So for us, I think, and, and the cool thing, I think, too, that, that probably made it a little easier uh, for us, even though these Olympics weren't as exciting as Akbar and I had never been to one before. So we were so excited to be there and to get to interact with the athletes that for us, we were just on cloud nine the whole time. And getting to meet these athletes, to celebrate them and congratulate them was was incredible. But I know, you know, I, I think tape delay is is always tough, especially in the era of the internet, where unless you're waking up and watching it on Peacock with Tokyo Live, odds are if you're waiting till primetime, the results are going to get spoiled. And I think that always steals something from it too, right? It's it's knowing Iron Man kills Thanos at the end. And sorry if you haven't seen. Oh my gosh, man! Right? <laughs> but it's like uh, it's it's like I, I thought that was a real challenge, and NBC did a great job allowing people to watch it live. But it was tough. I I, I think it was. I, I felt so lucky to be at the Olympics to to get to be a small part of it. Um, and hope we get to do it again. Beijing is now six months away for the Winter Olympics. And uh, so we're hoping to regroup for that. But it's been, 
it was it was a unique experience, and I think um, you know we. I remember we we got called in January of 2020 before the pandemic was really hitting, and told we were going to do the show. And then obviously we had to wait a year and a half along with everyone else. And when they said it was going to happen in 2021, it felt like these Olympics were going to be the reemergence of the world. That this was going to be it. We were coming out of the pandemic, and then the Delta strain hit. And instead, it felt like the Olympics, it was a little bit of a reminder of where we still are. And so I think, you know, the the opening ceremonies, I know, they really toned down um, because the spread was happening within Japan and the local the locals weren't keen on the Olympics happening. Not all of them were. And so I think they toned it down. And But as soon as the event started, to me, it all kind of faded in the background. They did a phenomenal job where I think it was 0.01% posit- you know, positivity rate. The, the control was incredible. The events went off. The performances were great. There were world records set. So I, I think while it was a muted Olympics, Tokyo did a phenomenal job. Matt, can you think of something that would resemble either either during your quarantine in Tokyo or during the height of the pandemic last year that resembles your peak boredom while trying to just stall time locked in a, in a so, vacancy? Well, I will tell you, I, I very early on when the lockdown started, I cleaned my house. <laughs> I mean, like literally I went through and every single item in my house was in my hands. I went through the kitchen I pulled every single thing out of the cabinets, out of the drawers. I got rid of a lot. I reorganized. And at that point, I was like, what are you doing? What is this? I've been on a a home makeover show for five and a half years, and I faked everything. And here I am in the midst of this pandemic making over my house. It was That, to me, was the sign of, oh, God, we need things to open up again soon. (laughs) My, My bottom point was I started experimenting in the kitchen. Cause I was getting tired of eating the same takeout yeah. and I tried to make Mac and cheese with oat milk, which is okay. not creamy enough at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it just ended up being oatmeal with cheese and noodles. And it made no sense. So that, that was my other experiment was I took a masterclass, the literal the website masterclass with Gordon Ramsay on cooking. Mm. And so I started doing a cooking show on Instagram mornings with Matt. I'd go live every morning at eight 30 yeah. uh, Pacific time. And I'd cook breakfast and just, BS. And I would, you know, solicit recipes and do things. But I I probably did, I think I did 60 episodes. And twice I had the fire department show up at my house because of fire. What were the two things? Uh, So I was making bacon and I was cooking at a too high a temperature. So when I flipped it, the oil had superheated and a flame shot up uh, to the grease trap and then smoke went everywhere. And the alarm went off and I turned the fire alarm off but I didn't know they were calling to verify everything was okay. And because I was doing the Insta Live, I was just like, ah, I'll, you know, I'll get it later. It's fine. And, I'll put him on And hold. then the doorbell rings <laughs> and LA's bravest are out there. And I'm so embarrassed because at the time I was doing a show Live Rescue where we followed paramedics, firefighters, EMTs mm-hmm. as I they were going out. I'm like, yep. this is, this is, um, this is really embarrassing. And then, the worst part, I go, hey, you guys want some stickers? I got some stickers. <laughs> you got a consolation <laughs> prize? Yeah, it was, it was bad. Did but, you bring uh, the phone cooking... with you 
to talk to them? Like, did you have a third yeah. person there with you? And it was no, no, no. I, I at that point, I yeah, I just I, I think the video does exist on my Instagram and IGTV of of you the fire department fire department because so, you yeah, it was it was a proud hot. moment, Danny. So <laughs> let's just say Uber Eats has gotten a lot of yeah. business for me since. Then. Yeah, well, don't do oat milk mac and cheese either, um, <laughs> Matt. I want to before we get to our, our final game with you, where we do our old soul stuff. I do want to mention one. Can I go serious for a hot sec? Can we be serious? Yeah, man. Yeah, you and I are both um, cancer survivors, and I, I like. I didn't know you had cancer. Yeah, this is like in the last six months, so I, I wouldn't. Have oh told my you god! That, but I, I'm wearing my scar. I, I had thyroid cancer, and uh, but like you, we got lucky that another problem led to us finding out. So tell me your story, man. I would love to hear this. I was golfing for the first time and I threw my back out. <laughs> I couldn't handle the physical toll of the sport you play in khakis. And I got an MRI, an overly cautious one, and then they, right. they found it. And it was just one of those things where it's like, so I guess there is a God because... Something made me throw my back out. It was the most random thing to happen to me possible. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that was my story was I have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I'm on an immune system modifier, which down regulates my immune system. And I was having some chest discomfort. And I thought, boy, this could be a cold. It could be something that got outside my lungs. I should go get an x-ray. So I go see uh, a doc at a clinic a couple blocks from here. And he, he checks it out. He's like, your x-ray is fine. He says, let's, let's just get a CAT scan to be sure. Um, because he did a history and I'd flown a couple of days before. And he said, on the off chance it was a clot, let's just get a, let's get a look at your lungs. So I go to the ER, get the CAT scan, and the ER doc looks at it and goes, your lungs are fine, go home. The next morning, the radiologist calls and says, your lungs are fine. But on the CAT scan, on the very bottom of it, we caught the top of your kidneys and there's a solid mass in there. 85% chance it's malignant. Um, so go get it checked out. Have a nice day. And it was, it was completely unrelated to the discomfort. It, it was just like the same with you where they found it on there. I go and get surgery. Sure enough, it was malignant. It was, it was kidney cancer, renal cell carcinoma. And the surgeon, when he told me after, after my surgery, he goes, it, it was malignant, but we got it all. And there's a 95% chance you're cured. So I found out I had cancer and that I was likely cured of it in the same breath. So it was a very lucky experience, but I was out at a hospital called the city of hope, which is a hospital that deals almost exclusively with cancers. And so, you know, it's one of the things I've done a lot of fundraising for the arthritis foundation. But after that, when you realize we're the lucky ones, when, when very often, when you hear the C word, um, it doesn't end that well. And so, you know, I've also worked with the American Cancer Society trying to raise awareness and trying to raise money because, you know, this is a battle. And as we see with COVID, you know, if, uh, boy, our health, our, our health is something that is so fragile that we don't always realize uh, how fragile it is and how things, as I'm sure when you heard, wait, there's something on my thyroid, like you're young, you're healthy, you don't feel right. it, where your world is just shattered and all of a sudden this mortality, this vulnerability comes in. And to to now be on the other side and to feel like, hey, we got this new lease on life. You're, you, it makes you want to help those who might not uh, have the same prognosis. I think one thing that's that's blown my mind the most about cancer that I wouldn't be able to tell you unless I'd gone through it is that there are things, the good things that happen in your life 
that wouldn't have happened if you never had cancer. Like you have a right yeah. to find silver linings. Have you had any of those experiences? You were like, oh, this would never happen if this didn't happen to me. So I'm not grateful that it happened, but I can at least take advantage of it because that's all I have to do I sometimes. Think, I, it's funny because I've been talking about silver linings in particular with the pandemic. And I, I think one of the things was the, you know, we started doing FaceTimes with my, my friends, my college friends, um, where we just play a poker night. We'd all jump online, use some app. And I, I think when you, so often we focus on the negative, particularly with social media. And when you step back and start to say, let me change my focus, let me find those positives. And, you know, from cancer, I think it was, it, it, it gives you a glimpse, I think, at the fragility, the, the idea of, you know, where so often, and obviously I'd, I'd already been shaken with rheumatoid arthritis where my health would, had been rocked. Yeah. But this idea of, man, sometimes you think you have time to do things. And I, I think that was one of the things, though. So obviously, you know, I left medicine to come out and do stand-up comedy. It's a, it's, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't make sense on paper. But when I had the cancer, I remember, so between the time the radiologist called me and, and I had my surgery, it was uh, four weeks. And so at that point, I didn't know whether it was malignant or not. And I remember sitting there, and I think the Tim McGraw song was that, Live Like You're Dying. <laughs> and I started thinking about it, and I go, wait a second. I'm, I'm still going out and doing stand-up comedy. I was uh, hosting a show at that point, and I thought, wow, I'm already doing what I love. And it was one of those moments where I thought, I'd already, I was already happy with the choice to leave medicine to come out to do comedy and to get into hosting. Um, but it was a real reminder of how right that decision was, of how much I love what I do. And I think that's, you know, that's been one of the things. Like when, when, I, when I was talking about, when I told my parents I was thinking of leaving medicine to go do stand-up comedy, my dad, who's a doctor, said, life is short, do what makes you happy. And it's, it's one of those kind of trite sayings, but my goodness, to feel like I found a, a job that I absolutely love, a job that makes me happy, a job where I feel like I get to share joy with people and, and experience their, their joy. It's, it's, uh, I feel lucky. And, and I think, you know, even the pandemic, when comedy has been taken away and made me appreciate, you know, anything, anytime you do get to interact with people and, and have an audience, um, I think it's really given me an appreciation for making that that hard decision to leave a very secure career in medicine to go pursue a ridiculous wild dream and how it's worked out better than I could have hoped. <laughs> yeah, there's a line in an Avett Brothers song where he says, if I live the life I'm living, then I won't be scared to die. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because today, today, September 1st is my 22 year anniversary of moving out to LA. Oh, congrats, um, my friend. Mazel tov. Yeah. And so that was actually one of the reasons why I was really glad to do a podcast because I always try to, I always want to perform on my birthday. Because, right. To feel like you continued um, your dream. To continue this and to kind of validate, or not my birthday, to, on this anniversary. Um, and I just had one of my buddies, PJ Walsh and Michael Batts, the three of us moved out unbeknownst to each other on September 1st, 99, became best friends. And spent like the next seven years doing stand-up together and we stayed best friends and and um it's a ridiculous journey and you know you're you're on that same one where you're doing comedy you're you're doing uh you know you're you're interviewing people and and i i think that when you look at 
some of your friends or my friends who are still in medicine, I think they love their job, but it wasn't right for me. And, and to find something you like, I, you know, I always think of like a Bruce Springsteen song of you're working in the factories, slaving away. And it's like, no, man, that's not my life. My life is, is, you know, it's, it's more like a hair metal motley crew, like, you know, smoking in the boys room or something. We're having a good time. Oh, well, I'm glad you brought up Bruce, uh, because I, I do wanted to get to some of your favorite things from, I mean, you're only 30, but you have an extensive, <laughs> some, somehow almost first person knowledge of the seventies and eighties. I don't know how that happened. Uh, it's amazing. But when you, I have a bunch of questions I want to ask you. First off, when you first got your car in high school, yeah. what songs did you scream the loudest? So I got a 1973 Chevy Nova from my grandma. Perfect. A uh, little Magnet. old lady in Nebraska. Who <laughs> it, it had like 9,000 miles on it. This was, I think it must have been um, 87, January of 87. I got this car and I got uh, got my stereo in it. We upgraded it. And I remember there was a lot of Bon Jovi, um, Phil Collins, his solo work, No Jacket Required was out around then. Um, what else? 87. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was, I remember like, God, I remember driving to school. Lean on me by club nouveau came out the reimagining. Oh and I boy. Like, this is a fun song. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Tears for fears. I, I, the eighties uh... music, like white snake, you know, Def leopard. I was really big into the, to the, uh, the hair metal, the hair metal, the hair metal. Uh, but I love the power ballads too. So, you know, when, when, when all of those kind of cheesy, cheesy songs, and it was a little later in the eighties that really, you know, the heyday of like heaven skid row. I remember you, um, cruise home, sweet home, all, all of that, like the hair metal power ballads. I absolutely, uh, those were amazing. And I, Listen, I love cheesy music. There was a lot of Toto going Let's on. Let's go. Africa has a shelf life. Okay, people have really brought it back. Like it is, it is amazing. Um, and so my buddy and I used to make these uh, mixtapes, um, Chider Ice. Uh, so by the way, he is a doctor turned comedian as well. He went to Stanford, then UVA, became a doctor. Now he's a comedian, and we made these mixtapes, and it was fun. It was you know Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Seger. Uh, Manfred Mann, all, all these Blinded by the party light. songs. Blinded by the light. That is such a, uh, my God. It's it's funny you bring yeah, that they, up because uh, on a earlier episode, we did most misheard lyrics in history. And Blinded by the Light was like the number one answer we got from our Red Black Douche. Yeah, is it Douche? Is that what you said, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, guys. That's a song. I would say the remake was much better. The original was kind of folksy and twangy. And Manfred Mann, listen, I like the 80s. I like the synth. I like to break down the kind of, you know, trippy middle uh, prog rock exploration there, jazz fusion. Yeah, prog rock. It was good. Yeah, blinded by the light. Yeah, man from Man Earth band. They they did that right. Uh, you, technically speaking, again, I don't know if this is possible that you lived through the seventies too. Uh, do you remember like what songs you had like on forty five? So I remember the first song I ever got, and I think this was probably the 80s. I think it was the two I remember first were Cars by Gary Newman and The Tubes, She's a Beauty. Um, I remember with my dad. So we used to do road trips, and there were, I think, five or six cassettes. It was America's Greatest Hits, uh, Neil Sedaka, John Denver. <laughs> this is so different. Uh, than Neil what Diamond. <laughs> 
and seals and cross. Oh, perfect. And, and so, God, I was just driving in Colorado, and what song came on? Do you want me to name songs? By uh, Brooklyn Roads by Neil by, Diamond. Okay, Brooklyn Neil Diamond song, yeah. And I don't think I'd listened to it in 20 years. And I was just like, every word came right back. Because in the 70s, when you had a cassette, you listened over and over. It would just keep the going and going. And that's all you had. Because, you know, we were driving up to the mountains or something in Colorado. And you wouldn't have any reception. So it was just the cassettes. And my God, we listened to those on endless replay so many good road trips with those summer breeze makes yeah. me feel fine it was amazing and here was the crazy thing so i i i was looking at this i i think it was dan seals and john croft i think and i think i think dan seals i think his brother because there was england dan and john ford coley and maybe it was dave seals and, but england dan i think was related to one of the seals and crofts guys and england dan and john ford coley had nights are forever without you which is one of my all-time, all-time favorite cheesy love songs. How does it go? And if you haven't listened to it, England Dan and John Ford Coley, The Nights Are Forever Without You. And this is one of those, uh, it is it, it is such, uh, I, 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 maybe I had a crush on a girl and listened to the song <laughs> with her or something. Because this song is still one of those songs that just gets me. It's an arrow right through my heart. My mom and I used to always sing the one that's like, um, I'm not talking about moving in. So that's it, yeah. And I don't want to change your life, life, but there's a warm wind blowing the stars around. And, and I, that's England, Dan, and John Ford Coley. Yeah, I can't thing. believe you know oh, that. Oh, I'm here for you. I'm, 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 I got you. This is this is the podcast. That's amazing, <laughs> Danny. That Thank is amazing you. that you know that. Well, we used to joke because we thought the words were, I'm not talking about the linens. And a lot yeah. of people have thought that over the years, that those are the words to that song. And I don't want to change your light. I think people said light too. Thought. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people got that song wrong. Um, did you like Billy Don't Be a Hero too? <laughs> you know, Billy oh Don't I... Be a Hero. Sorry, I, I'm I'm nerding out too hard on you. Oh, that one I don't even remember. Now you're going deeper than I. I'm can. sorry. I it was by well, Paper Lace no. did it. I I love I love that. You know, you know what sucks with like Shazam and Google is I, I one of my favorite things used to be sitting around with your friends or in a bar and just doing who sang that song and it was so much fun you know trying to work it out and trying to remember and then like the 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 little wormhole you'd go down as you is that one song led to the next and now it's you know my brother actually came up with a for the phone for google he calls it the wonder killer because you just look <laughs> it up and it's done it's period it's an end instead of that that fun exploration like this where you're having this conversation and digging up those gems. Yeah. And I, I know we, we had that conversation on the podcast. We realized that you wouldn't have just had the lyrics to a song and who sings it and the title in front of you all the time when you heard a song back in the I, day. You were just in the car and there was no way to know. I, I remember there was a song called uh, uh, She's Gone by Chilliwack. One hit wonder band from Canada, from Chilliwack, Canada. And I remember my buddy and I, Chider, the guy Chider, I, mm -hmm. we spent years looking for this and one time we went to this the music disc it was this um really cool record store uh in denver colorado and one time we went in there and they had the single and we were just like victory you found we found it, it. we found it <laughs> and now you know every song ever recorded you have on spotify and apple music which is awesome it is awesome but of course there was something about the hunt something about things being precious and hard to find or knowledge being hard to come by and 
Uh, now I sound like an old man. Back in my day, we had to just know facts. <laughs> we had to find things. Well, you must have kept going to stores and saying, do you have She's Gone? And they were like, yeah, Hall & Oates. And you're like, no, no, no. Chill yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Obviously. It's- Which, by the way, I do have Hall & Oates tickets. I had them at the Hollywood Bowl. It was supposed to be March of uh, 2020. And, and I, I, I can't wait to go see. I've never seen them in concert. I am looking forward to that. She's Gone is a great one. She is gone. Uh, I love Private Eyes. Out of Touch is great. I mean, you know. Man Eater. The, even their reimagining of You Lost That Loving Feeling. But I, I think they, uh, Man Eater. Yeah, they, they, they have a Hollow Notes. Again, he, here's my, my theory on music. The music that you listen to uh, in high school, I think will always be the most impactful because hormones kick in. That's when you have your first love, your first crush. Emotions are just so much more heightened then that the music then, that soundtrack, will always be the music of those moments. So, you know, Def Leppard, Toto, Hall & Oates, all of that stuff from the 80s. To me, that is always going to be my music. My favorite Onion article ever, the headline said, Father gives daughter vinyl record to ensure that she never relates to anyone else in her generation. And that, like, summed up my life. That's why I'm heroes in this podcast now. Because if you are into a certain genre or era that's that predates you when you're a kid that's it you're just setting your ways after that it 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 is and it's it's interesting so i i got a record player a few years ago and i've been slowly reamassing a vinyl collection which have you got what what have you found uh a lot of journey so i I actually had gotten the journey albums when i did this home makeover show we used to have yard sales and people were always getting rid of albums because you know you have it on your phone who's going to listen to it but I, I wanted to have the Journey album. So I've got all the Journey albums. I've got the Who, Who's Next. I uh, got all the Neil Diamonds. I've got some Johnny Cash. And then, so I just, uh, name drop, I just was on Kelly Clarkson's show yesterday. Oh. And, who I adore. And I got to sing, um, I got to sing uh, Since You've Been Gone with her. Or uh, to her, kind of. A little bit. <laughs> she she kind of sang she a little bit. She begged her to join like, you. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> But every time you go, she gives you, as a guest, she gives you a vinyl album. And she gave me uh, Alison Krauss and Robert Plant. Um, she gave me Fleetwood Mac Rumors the time before. And I'm just like, what a cool, I, I mean, obviously, you know, she's, she's, she's music. She's a, she's a singer. So it's really cool to get these old albums and have this record player and just kind of put them on. And, but in the end, inevitably, I'm like, I don't want to hear the whole album. I just go on Spotify <laughs> or Apple Music and play it. So. In the end, I've, I know technology. Works. You're like, wait, there are other songs on rumors. What do you mean you're never going back again? I don't know. You know that's song. what's funny too is like you remember you'd listen to every song on an album, and no jacket required. I remember I you know could still go through and sing every lyric to every song because you just listen to them again and again because you didn't have anything else. And now I, I can't remember the last time I went through like a full album of something just exploring music because you can just load things on demand. So I, I, I definitely, I'm more reliant on like satellite radio to explore, to discover new music because I'm kind of set in my ways. Now. Yeah. Something has to tell me what to listen to because yes. I'm too stubborn to be that yes. adventurous. Yes. Um, Matt, I know you're very busy, so we'll let you go. And you probably have dinner time soon, I would assume, for you. I do. Yeah. I'm going out to celebrate 22 years. Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, I'm glad that you, you yeah. chose us to be part of your celebration real quick though uh matt what's your favorite movie rocky oh that's good. it's it's uh 
so one of the other things I do besides have old music is I, uh, between college and med school, I did a movie quote tape. And I took just quotes of my favorite movies of all time and kind of made a pastiche of them all together. But one of the other things I did at that was I also took the end scenes of Rocky, Top Gun, and The Natural. And I just took the audio of them and, and I put them on. And I remember listening to the, to the 14th and 15th round of Rocky, and I still have it on my phone. And it's been one of the things, like when I try to work out now, I'll put that on. And what is keeping him up? I don't know. These two look like they've been in a war. And it was like, I could go through lyric by lyric or line by line and quote this thing. And, and Rocky was one of those movies. And, and it's so beautiful. And like, you know, before the fight, he says, you know, I don't even want to win. I just want to go the distance. And at the end, they're announcing the winner. And it was so well done where they're announcing who won the fight. And only in the background do you hear, and still reigning champion, Apollo Creed. But at that point, he's seeing Adrian. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't appreciate it until later in life. Like, what a great piece of filmmaking it was, kind of paying off that comment about going the distance. Um, and it's just, it's still one of the best movies of The Underdog. It was The Karate Kid. You know, it's that formula of the guy who's, who, who's, who's just a, a prohibitive underdog who has no shot coming out and, and winning in a way. He didn't win. But really, he won. And I think that's kind of one of those lessons where we often think, you know, it's a zero-sum game where, like, if you don't, if you're not, if you ain't first, you're last. Rocky Barbie. But I thought Rocky was cool. It's like you can win in a lot of different ways. And, and uh, I just think it's, it's such a good movie. And Stallone is, you know, I, I mean, like, all the, you know, the subsequent Rockies, I, I still enjoyed all of them. I was just thinking Rocky Four, you know, which, which is, I think, 40% montage it's still a beautiful movie it's just it's a great character about having that underdog you know what matt it sounds like you should do the american warrior course for a third time you gotta believe <laughs> the underdog coming yeah out. don't give up i've on often yourself. thought of it i'm like i gotta train for six months and it didn't happen this year so maybe next season danny <laughs> maybe i'll come out in my rocky balboa trunks which i do have um and maybe come out of those and try to make it happen guys i have another foot I can do it. Not broken yet. I have another ankle too. You won't believe it. My rheumatologist and my orthopedic surgeon, they'll have, my orthopedist will probably be happy because they'll be like, listen, this is more business yeah. than me. <laughs> I'm the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and so are you, Matt Eisman. Thank you for taking the time for us and congratulations on 22 years of absolute success. Danny, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I'm not talking about moving in. And I don't want to change, change your life. life. Oh, that's fun.